Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations. I'm Jillian. I'm Yolanda. Let's start with some Jane Austen news. The manor where Austen wrote Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, and North Anger Abbey is now up for sale. We should note, this is not the original structure where Jane lived. Her brother Edward tore it down and rebuilt this house in 1826. Even still, this is the property that inspired Jane Austen to write all of these great novels. So, for only 8.5 million pounds, or 10.5 million US dollars, Steventon House could be yours. 7,000 square feet, 6 bedrooms, 4 bathrooms, 4 reception rooms, and 52 ample acres of property. You want to know what else? That's Georgiana's entire fortune. Yeah. So, like, Georgiana could just drain her bank account. (laughs) And buy this one house. Buy... Steventon House. She could just live there and not have any staff and, you know, maybe she'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty- 7,000 square feet is really big. It's big. I wish we could pay for it in spirit. Like, <laughs> how much do you think this would be in spirit? Um, Still $10 million. Still $10 million. <laughs> that makes sense. And taxes and, you know. All the things. Not that I know anything about buying a house, but it's, it's more than this, you know? Yeah. So this week, we're going to be discussing Sanditon Season 3, Episode 3. We'll dive into Georgiana's case and the outcome in court, a growing friendship between Arthur and the Duke, and a very obvious declaration that Colburn makes to Charlotte at the end. And we'll also talk a little bit about the history behind hunting parties, which we see occur in this episode. So let's start with a quick recap of episode two. Alexander Colburn's brother Samuel has prepared Georgiana for the emotional toll this case is going to take on her in Charles Lockhart's effort to take the inheritance away from her. Charlotte and Colburn shared a moment where their gloved hands touched and there may be feelings still there. So with that, let's begin with the main event of this episode, which takes up really half the episode. That is Georgiana's case in London. This was a lot. This was a really dramatic scene, like couple of scenes. Georgiana has with her Charlotte and Mary Parker by her side. And then we've got Samuel Colburn, who is our barrister. Yes, and only gentlemen were barristers in this time. It's Lockhart versus Lamb. That's what we've got going on here. Samuel Colburn was not exaggerating how difficult this was going to be for Georgiana. She's not called on the stand right away. They call Charles Lockhart, and he says some pretty slimy things. You know, he says that Georgiana's father was not in his right mind in the final months of his life, and he brings his physician here to say, yeah, he was not in his right mind. Therefore, this will and testament is not valid. Because that's what's tricky to prove is like, she's in the will. She's in the will and he's contesting this. Well, they even go as far as to claim that Sidney Parker held Mr. Lamb's hand to write this will as if Sidney was in on the scheme with Georgiana to claim this fortune that is not theirs. So really their argument is against two people who cannot stand for themselves in this court. They're trying to really assert the fact that these two people who are dead had mischievous ways in mind of, of trying to steal his fortune. So it's it's really tough because it is Georgiana's, at this point, word against Charles's word, and they have yet to present any evidence yet. So that's the big thing. That's what Samuel has come with. He comes with evidence. Of course, the first thing being the 
actual will and testament. This is what signs off on Georgiana being the rightful heir to this fortune. But then they come back at her with claims about her mother, about saying that even though she was a slave, and even though like she was in that position, she seduced Mr. Lamb, and she was the one who came up with this scheme then to then be able to take all his money. And it's like, no, <laughs> that is not the way that position of power works at all. Like Mr. Lamb is the one in power over her. We don't know like anything about the two of them. We just know that they had this child. And then what Georgiana knew was that her mother died in childbirth. And that was it. And then like she was just without a mother, without a father, and she was alone. Lockhart's lawyer reveals the horrible revelation that Mr. Lamb sold Georgiana's mother, Agnes, to another plantation when Georgiana was only six months old. But she's still dealing with the fact that, her yes, her mother is still alive, but now she's dealing with the fact that her birth father sold her mother. And they have the deed to prove it, and so... That's an awful thing. They have the bill of sale. They present it in court, and so what they are now claiming is, well, see, this means that Agnes is still an enslaved woman, which makes like her children enslaved too. So they are claiming that Georgiana is still a slave and therefore she cannot own property. I mean, it's also worth mentioning that this is a two-day trial. This is day one. (laughs) Like this is day one of them bringing all this evidence where Georgiana is hearing all of this for the very first time. She has to maintain her composure in court. Like she has to, she can't cry. She can't like say like, you know, like we can't have like a dramatic courtroom scene like we have in a lot of other movies. She's just forced to sit and listen to these men say these horrible things about both of her parents. But what happens is court is dismissed for the day. Samuel Colburn, you know, it's his job to refute all of this tomorrow. Tomorrow is Georgiana's turn on the stand. He kind of vanishes into the night. Like this is like a Colburn man thing to just kind of like vanish and not tell anyone where they're going. So Georgiana, I mean, like, you know, Mary and, and Charlotte are doing their best to comfort Georgiana. But I mean, how are you, how do you assure someone who's just heard all these horrible things and just like needs to recover from it? The interesting thing that happens in between is that Otis Molyneux returns. Oh, yeah. And he is someone who Georgiana had a budding relationship with in season one and she was seeing him in secret and... She put him out of her mind, and but yet she still thought of him every day at the same time, even though there was like this really big hurt and conflict between them. And now he has returned after seeing all the reporting in the papers about her case. So he has come back, not with any expectation of anything romantically happening between them, but he is there to emotionally support Georgiana because he understands her position the best. I think it's great that he's just like, I'm here for you. And that's that's a great moment between them. So we're back in court the next day and Samuel's late. He's late and Georgiana's <laughs> like, where's my lawyer? Where's my only lawyer? You know, Charlotte's like, you can beat this guy, right? You can beat this case. He's not super confident last night. In this morning, he's late, but he's got a certain spring in his step and he seems more optimistic than he was last night. And he's able to disprove the claim that Georgiana's father was like out of his mind the last few months of his life when this will was written because he finds out that his so-called physician, had a practice in London during the last few years of his life, so there's no way he was in Antigua seeing to his bedside. And two, this doctor has gambling debts all over London, so he's lying, he's perjuring himself, he's committing a pretty big felony for the payout for, he's like getting a slice of Georgiana's fortune to pay off of his debts, and so he brings evidence of the debts. 
Uh, Samuel also provides uh, the letters between Georgiana and her father, showing A, he was very much in his right mind, and B, he loved his daughter. He did not see her as his property. He saw her as his child, and he loved her, and he wanted her to have this fortune and to have a good life. So, you know, now it's Georgiana's turn on the stand. I can only think my inheritance was a bid for absolution. So surely, my lord, to give that man my fortune would only compound the sin. I would give every penny back if it meant my mother would be returned to me. She gives this very passionate speech, and yes, the judge recognizes it, but ultimately he's like, I, I get what you're saying, but I have to answer to the law. And in this case, he says that under English statute, Georgiana is not a slave because they don't recognize slaves on their shores, and so she is the rightful heir of the fortune. The case is dismissed, and Georgiana gets to keep her inheritance. I would hope that this means it's the last of Lockhart, and that we are not going to see him again, but the way that this show likes to drag out villains. I don't think we've seen the last of him just yet, unfortunately. I would like to be done with him, but I think he's gonna come back in some way. That I, I've kind of observed that to happen in quite a few of uh, PBS's Masterpiece series, mm -hmm. where it's like, one guy, you think that's the end of him. There's <laughs> no reason to bring him back. But they're like, there's like a boomerang. They just keep coming. You can't keep them away. Yeah. So... He tried marrying her, that failed. And he tried suing her for the money, and that failed. Short of killing her and being, oh, did I that, just- <laughs> no, That might, yeah. Shoot, might, did I just come might, up with the third act here? There might be a murder attempt, who knows? Oh my gosh, I certainly hope not. I This was a really big win, and it was nice to have this scene where like the law was on Georgiana's side, and it supported her and her fortune. And now is like her real 21st birthday, where she can go forth and her fortune belongs to her. But, you know, I think- you still can't, can't be too weary of these fortune hunters and she's lost some of her anonymity. Yeah. We also do see her at the end. Otis had given her his address so they can keep in contact through letters, but she burned the address. It feels like that's kind of the end of a chapter. It feels like she has that closure, but does she really have the closure? I feel like she just wanted to be rid of that physical reminder of him, but I feel like she still emotionally is thinking about him. So I don't know. I don't know if it's the end for Georgiana and Otis. Maybe it is, but we'll see how those two pan out as well. I feel like the kind of thesis statement that's kind of been constant throughout this whole series that's really demonstrated in Georgiana's trial is that this community shows up for each other. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, that's the big thing is like all the papers in London are against Georgiana. They are all defaming her. They are all speaking ill of her. And yet she has this community back in Sanditon who are all behind her. Yeah, I mean, even Arthur and Tom have this whole conversation where they're reading the headlines in Sanditon and they're... They're, they're horrified. They're and horrified, and they're also kind of angry with themselves, Arthur in particular, because Arthur's the one who saw this blossoming relationship between Lockhart and Georgiana as a really good thing, and he he kind of nudged them together. He made sure they sat next to each other at a party, and he feels terrible for the role that he played in making her vulnerable to a man like this without questioning him, and they're elated when she wins. I feel like that takes us nicely into talking about the Parkers in this episode. 
Something that's been happening that we haven't yet discussed is that Tom Parker has been working with an investor to have a hotel built in Saniton. The purpose of this being to attract more people of status to the town and even have a suite worthy of a king to stay in. So that may be still back of his mind of like, why didn't the king come? So now they have like a proper hotel and a proper suite where they could welcome him. But they've identified this part of town, Old Town, where many of the poor residents reside to displace all of them and build atop there, where, which um, Mary Parker is someone who is a woman of the community and she goes and she helps one of the families there and whether it's just a few hours of conversation for a distraction, some food and that sort of thing. Um, so she does not want Tom to build over that site because it is against everything that she feels what Sanditon actually stands for versus what Tom feels Sanditon stands for, which is profit and tourism and all these big flashy things. We're at a point of tension between Mary Parker and Tom. She is standing for what she feels is right and Tom is fighting for his own blind ambition and profit. Tom has this moment where he's like, ooh, but people live there. And he's like, so we get rid of them. And Tom's like, okay, so we get rid of them. You know, he's... Well, it's because he he's attracted by the fact that uh, the investor says you'll get five times the profit given how big we'll be able to build this hotel. So it's not just like they're, they're picking this site because it is the biggest site and it is near the shore and it is all these attractive things. It's got a great view. But Tom is just suffering from what he's kind of suffered from in every single season, which is like... This guy with authority and money and vision yeah. is like, what about this? All you have to do is sell your soul. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that as a concept. I love that idea. And then he gets really in so deep. Like I think about last season when that lieutenant captain guy kept making sure he had a bigger debt. This is just another one of those moments where I'm like, Tom, have some self-esteem. Have some principles. He's looking for shortcuts. He's trying to find the quickest way to what he thinks will be, will make Sanditon most successful. And through it all, Mary has been just such a steady rock for him and really yeah. supporting him all the way even when she feels like what he's doing is wrong. But this feels like a really big point where she's like, no, 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 I actively disagree with you. I cannot stand for this. So we will see how that plays out. Mary can't lose this. Like Mary doesn't lose, you know, yeah. she wins. And so for me, it's like, okay, well, how long until Mary wins? <laughs> Yeah. Meanwhile, Arthur Parker continues to build his friendship with Henry Montrose, aka the Duke. They start to get close and Arthur has continue is continuing to deal with his guilt about Georgiana and nudging her toward Charles Lockhart, and he really starts to describe what he felt about Charles to the Duke. For some reason I found myself beguiled from the moment I laid eyes on him. He made me feel as if I were witty. As if he truly valued my opinion. The Duke is listening to him and kind of discerns this and asks him a very roundabout question that is pretty much pointing to like, have you considered that maybe your sexual preference is leans toward men? And Arthur is a very delicate flower, as we have seen. Mm -hmm. This question very much overwhelms Arthur and he runs away. And I think that Arthur is so genuine with his feelings and with everyone else and, and really concerns himself with everything going on in town, but he has yet to really confront those own feelings within himself. So I think in the Duke asking this and what he felt about Charles, it's for Arthur, I think the first time that he's really vocalizing these feelings and really trying to process and understand it. 
And yes, the Duke is trying to help him, but I think that is just... It's a, it's a big step for Arthur. Well, and not only that, but the Duke has basically outed himself, you know? Yeah. Because they've gotten very close over the course of the past few episodes, just kind of in the background. He feels like Arthur's someone he can trust. And so when Arthur doesn't immediately respond with like, oh my God, we found each other. Yes, it's you. The Duke feels very vulnerable. And he kind of like, shoot, did I just, you know, expose myself to the wrong person? I believe Arthur has been coded as queer for this whole time. And I think it's one of the reasons why Georgiana felt so comfortable around him last season because he didn't want anything from her. Yeah. And people are always wanting things from her. Arthur, I think, hasn't even thought about that. I, I think he's really busy thinking about other people's happiness. I, I also think he doesn't even, you know, realize what that means. And so hasn't really considered that option for himself. So we're kind of left questioning that for Arthur. And I mean, not an accepted thing in this time. So it's like super not accepted for him to try to grapple these feelings. And what this means is also like, oh, will I be shunned in my family and society and all these? Do I have to hide everything from everyone now? He's very much so been an open person and an open part of the community. And this could really drive him in the opposite direction, which is like so, so unlike Arthur. So I'm so curious to see how they're going to handle this. I hope they handle it with such care for for Arthur Parker. So as we go into the last big event of this episode, Samuel Colburn has really volunteered his brother to host a hunting party. And that is going to be involve all the great people of Sanditon society. They've built up this long list of attendees and it's going to be a great big thing at his estate for all people of Sanditon to enjoy. So let's dive into a little bit of history behind these hunting parties. Hunting parties were limited to aristocrats and royalty, and just because you had your own land in these times did not qualify you to be eligible to hunt. You had to own property worth more than £100 a year, lease land worth more than £150 a year, or be the eldest son of an esquire or of higher rank. There's so much gatekeeping here. Like yes. you had to have like this much money or just be someone's son. Yeah, that's pretty insane. much. So for reference, 1820s uh, money of 100 pounds today would be approximately 8,700 pounds or 10,900 US dollars. And you needed to complete the certificate in order to hunt as well. So you could not just have the money and then hunt. You had to go through all this process if you did not have a certificate or if you tried to poach on someone else's land. There were severe fines or even punishment as worse as the extreme punishment would go to hanging. So that was how seriously they took all of this. And yet, just a few years later, they opened up permits to be open to anyone who could obtain a permit. So it, it was a varying kind of influx thing that, that was evolving over time. Even though women would not participate in the actual hunting, they would often still be part of these hunting parties. They would ride in a carriage to the site, whereas the men would go on foot with their guns and walk there. And so there would be these grand picnics around this big event. So it was a whole day, it was a whole big event, and it was like a, such a, a big 
deal to be invited to one of these things. So in the context of this episode, I wish we had seen a little bit of like more of the event. I guess they, they put all of that in the Colburn house, but even still, women were a little bit more of the, just they tagged along with this. It would only come later in the 1860s that women began to participate in equestrian activities and even in fox hunting. So that again evolved over time. So then as we wrap up this episode, let's talk about the Colburns. Samuel has begun to build a bond with Lady Susan, and the two have very clearly noticed that Alexander and Charlotte have feelings toward one another. So they conspire a little bit to say, well, what if we nudge them here and nudge them there and kind of make them talk to each other again. So they're kind of in cahoots with that plan. Everyone's trying to parent trap Colburn and Charlotte. Like Augusta and Leo want it to happen. Susan and Samuel want it to happen. Everyone wants it to happen. (laughs) I'm honestly hoping for a scene where they lay out blueprints and they're just like, how are we going to make this happen? Alexander also announces the winner, I guess, of the hunting party. It's Edward Denham. And in that moment, Edward decides to ask Alexander permission to call on Augusta. Now, we haven't talked about this too much, but we have seen a budding romance happening between Augusta and Edward in a way that we haven't seen Edward before. He's actually showing a new sides of himself that he hasn't really shown before or really been vulnerable to. Augusta mentions that she really enjoys poetry and then he suddenly finds himself trying to write poetry for her. So this is a very different kind of Edward, someone who is making an effort and seems to actually care for Augusta. But of course, having the reputation that he does When he asks Alexander permission, he is very quickly shot down. He is declined, but it doesn't seem like that will stop these two from seeing one another because Augusta has already been making excuses or sneaking out in order to meet up with Edward. We start this season the way we've started every season in the world of Edward, where he's a slimy piece of garbage who's (laughs) just trying to mooch off, you know, season one, he's trying to mooch off of his aunt. Season two, he's joined the army and has tried to paint himself as a reformed man, which is quickly exposed. And he is, in fact, not a reformed man, which is what has led him to where he is now, which is, you know, leave, never come back, get a job, try and make it on his own, or have a chance at the denim fortune by attempting to appear as a reformed man. He is in the middle of trying to appear as a reformed man to his aunt when he hears about this young lady, Augusta is still a teenager, who has this pretty big fortune. And that's not nothing. I mean, he was a petty soldier before this, and he could do worse. So he begins trying to pursue Augusta, as per usual, with his own selfish agenda. And she sees through it. I mean, he tries to bring her a poem and she's like, you know, I know the kind of person you are. (laughs) We're kind of seeing a new side of Edward in episode three where we're kind of left to wonder, like, is he actually reformed? He's spending time in church. He's spending time trying to genuinely write poetry. We see him clip a flower and try and write a love letter to Augusta. And she's also kind of changing her tune. She's going from an attitude of like, oh, I bet you think that works on all the other girls. Well, that's not (laughs) going to work on me. To she lied last episode about having a headache to get out of going to the concert. 
so that she could see Edward. And so that's carrying into this episode, you know, he Edward's trying to do the honorable thing, question mark, by asking her guardian if he can court her. Here's my question for you. Do you think he's changed? I don't think we've seen enough proof yet. I don't think the one like attempt at poetry is enough to really prove that he's changed. I don't think he's really voiced his real intentions yet. So I don't think we can really say like, does he want to change? Is he capable of like, I think he's capable of change, but I don't know what it's going to take for him to actually want to make the change because I think underneath it all, he may be pursuing Augusta, but underneath it is still like, oh, but she also has money. So it's like, how can you really differentiate if he's really pursuing someone for his true feelings or if he's pursuing someone for the money? I think for as long as we've known him, he has only ever wanted to pretend to be a reformed man and then just yeah. ultimately do like live his life the only way he knows how, which is completely for himself. And this is really the first episode, I'll give him this, that he's not acting in a way that he wants to seem reformed. He he seems to actually want to see Augusta. He wants her uncle's permission to see her. And I don't really know what that means for the future, but this is the first time I have seen a change in the wind. Yeah. I don't love that we're allowing Edward Denham to have this whole arc of redemption, considering everything that he's put like the woman in his life through what he put Esther through and Clara. And I feel like it's an, it's an interesting choice to spend a lot of time on this and him courting Augusta. I don't know. Like maybe there could have been a different character for Augusta if they really wanted that for her, but to have a whole redemption arc for Edward Denham, I'm not here for it. I don't care to see it, but I guess we're getting it anyways. (laughs) We are getting it anyways. Yeah. He's one of these guys where I'm like, ah, he's a thing of the past. Psych! He's back! He keeps coming back. So that's why, like, I don't want to see Charles Lockhart again. I don't want to see Edward Denham again. But we keep having to deal with these characters who are not so pleasant. But the big thing really to end this episode on, the second biggest thing to happen in this episode beyond Georgiana's case and winning, is that Alexander Colburn declares his love to Charlotte Haywood. And, I mean, this is, like, his final kind of chance. He's like, here's everything. Here's everything that I feel for you. And this is why we should be together and all these things. And they kiss and it is a very passionate and overwhelming moment. But then Charlotte says to him, it's too late. Like you had your chance. She feels more attached to the promise that she's made to Ralph. And obviously like all her family knows too. So you would have to think of the implication this means if she were to break off that engagement, she would have to return home. She would have to face Yes, the Starling family, who are, I'm sure, dear family friends. She would have to face her own family and parents and all the questions that would come with that. So she's like, I don't want to deal with that. I just want to, I have a plan. I'm going to stick to it and that's it. But yet Alexander comes in and is trying to upset all of that. And this might be the same hill where where Sydney Parker did the very same thing to her. It is a very dramatic moment because to set the scene, we are on a beautiful cliff next to the seaside. The wind is in her hair and it's dramatic. And she's just there with a little book of poetry that Ralph gave her. And Colburn marches up and as he's kissing her and declaring his love for her, she drops the book. It's a pretty shocking thing for her because remember, this is the guy who broke her heart. You know, she's made this decision to pick the easy life. She went home. She said yes to Ralph. Everyone's happy with that. 
And she's come back allegedly to support her friend in her time of need. And also, I think, one last chance to say goodbye to the life that she wanted when she first came to Sanditon. And here's this guy saying, I still want you. Another thing worth mentioning, and I think back in those days from what we've seen, only a a woman could respectably end an engagement. Like, I suppose anyone could, but... It was a really terrible thing to do as the man if you were to call off your engagement and to jilt your betrothed. It was a little more acceptable for women to do it. But at this point, I think Charlotte has just resigned to herself to a certain kind of life. And she's she's been imagining the path that doesn't involve Colburn. And she's just like, I'm going to be on this farm with this guy who I know who does not have the power to break my heart the way that Alexander has. Well, the other thing, too, is that Charlotte has been delaying her return to her hometowns because she's used the excuse of, oh, well, Georgiana needs me here for this case. I need to travel to London to be with her and I need to see it through. And and she's really been delaying her wedding day to try to stay in Sanditon as long as she can. And now this happens. I would imagine she packs up her things and she's going to leave like the very next moment. But I feel like that's kind of classic Charlotte is like she might just pack up and run away and run away from these feelings. There's no real reason why right now she continues to need to stay in Sanditon. She's She was here for the birthday party. She was here for the trial. And now she really has nothing tying her to Sanditon. She only has Colburn, but there's really nothing between them officially It's only in thought. And yes, now Colburn has vocalized those feelings and they're out there. But it feels like for Charlotte, like, where was this energy a month ago, two months ago? Like, what happened? Like, why, why didn't you try more when I was still here? Like, it's, it's kind of done for her. You know, now she's faced with this, like, shoot, I thought he didn't want me. And I made this decision because I thought he didn't want me. And now that I know that he wants me, this complicates things because she wants him back and she doesn't want to want him because he's made things hard. So that's really the big question that I have. I mean, for the for the next episode and the rest of the season is I feel like the end game, I would hope, is going to be Charlotte Haywood and Colburn. I don't but, have the energy for another end game. <laughs> I really don't. But how are we what is the path to get there and how is poor Ralph's heart going to be broken? Because that that's what I'm anticipating, unless this series decides to just toss that aside and have her marry Ralph. Like, I don't know. So I'll be so mad. I know. <laughs> I'll riot in be. the streets. <laughs> I mean, because that's the thing is, I will say, like, I understand that she's made this promise and it's a thing, yada, yada. We've met Ralph in like one and a half episodes. He was around in the first episode of this season And we met him for the splittest of seconds at the end of last season when she's dancing at her sister's wedding. And she's like, here's Ralph, my fiance. Well, the thing is, like, with everyone he's met and everything, he's also learning about Charlotte while while he was in Sanditon was like, oh, wow, like, the company you keep, like, you know, a lady, you know, a duke, you know, all these, like, people of, like, society. You've been to London. And so, and she's well-read and she knows all these poets and authors and that sort of thing. So he's like, wow, like... Charlotte, you're so well read. And like, he's like also discovering all these things about Charlotte, which honestly makes him only more like intrigued and in love with her because he's like, wow, like she's a woman who could teach me many things. And I think that's the thing that Lady Susan wants for Charlotte is like someone who meets her and can meet her where she's at and advance her too. I think, you know, she wants the best for Charlotte and they all do because Charlotte has really invested so much in everyone else that they want 
the best match for her too. But you know, it's not up to everyone else. It's ultimately up to Charlotte. I'm hoping that what happens is either Ralph sees how happy she is in Sanditon or how miserable she is on the farm that he like gives her permission to break up with. I, I feel like, <laughs> no, really. I mean, I feel like she needs permission from her father, her, her parents or like maybe her sister, maybe like who we met last right, season. Yeah. She comes back and she's like, oh, I love being married to the man that I love and the love of my life. I can't imagine any other life. Like she needs someone really close to her. Not someone like, I don't know if it's Georgiana because she's also in the wall putting up phase of life, yeah. but she needs someone who's in love, who's happy with their life to say, this is worth fighting for. Yeah. And it's gonna hurt when you break up with Ralph, but it's gonna hurt every single day for the rest of your life if you choose this guy over the other guy who you yeah. actually love. We'll see, won't we? So that's a big part of what we're hoping to have answered. So that wraps it up for this episode. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week as we discuss Sanitin Season 3, Episode 4. You can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and support us on Patreon at The Pemberley. And you can email us with any questions or comments at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.